Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to America's Best Baseball Podcast. We take you behind the scenes in and around Major League Baseball with former big league manager Kevin Kennedy and veteran baseball broadcaster Rich Herrera. This is the only weekly podcast hosted by someone like Kennedy who played, coached, and managed in pro ball. So we can take you into the manager's office for a real insider's view of baseball alongside a veteran baseball broadcaster like Herrera who has covered the game from coast to coast. So let's talk some baseball with your hosts. Here they are. The skipper Kevin Kennedy and Rich Herrera. Welcome, everybody. It's the latest edition of America's Best Baseball Podcast. Rich Herrera, Kevin Kennedy with you to talk some baseball. Skip, how are you? I'm ready to go, Rich. Doing good. How about you? I'm I, I'm not I'm smiling, but I, I know I'm not smiling as much as you are because the Los Angeles Dodgers are surging right now since last we got together. We asked when the National League West was going to get in focus, and wow, look at the Dodgers now uh, chasing everybody down and trying to take their spot atop the National League West. Well, I think the problem is with this division is when Arizona had a chance to put the Dodgers away when the Dodgers were 10 games under 500 and nine and a half games back, that's when you've got to really put the hammer down. And for, for them, they ended up going right in the tank for about a month. They had uh, injuries. They're running their own right. Um, Goldsmith wasn't hitting. He was hitting about a buck ninety. He wasn't hitting home runs. He he hadn't hit one at uh, their own ballpark. And the Dodgers kept creeping back. And even though the Dodgers had injuries, uh, they had a guy named Max Muncie come up from the minor leagues that got released by Oakland last year. And all he's doing is hitting one home run every ten point four seven at bats, which is number one in Major League Baseball. Better than J.D. Martinez. Better than Mike Trout. Better than anybody, if you can believe it. And this is a third year in a row for the Dodgers, where they've had a player that has turned his career around. Last year, it was Chris Taylor. The year before, or really two years before, it was Justin Turner. Um, and these were, these were guys that were afterthoughts. And uh, now, all of a sudden, they're star players, and all three of them are starters in the Dodgers lineup. So that's a big part of what's going on in L.A., and now they're only a game and a half out. So even though they have had all these injuries, the Dodgers' depth, which, you know, Andrew Friedman and – Farhan Zaidi talk about a lot. That has certainly proved to be true once again this year. And they're going on one of those runs, Rich, where every year that I've been with them, back with them the last seven years, they've gone on one of these runs where people think they're out of it, and then they go 42-8, and eight, or they go 33-5, and five, and that's what they're on right now. They're on one of those runs where they've won – they've only lost six games in the last 30-some-odd uh, games, 35 games or so. So it's been unbelievable. Let's take a listen to the newest hit and hero for the Los Angeles Dodgers. 
And Muncie with a fly ball to left. Home run, Muncie. Max Muncie, his 17th. Mad Max beyond Thunderdome. And the Dodgers 2 to nothing. Highlight courtesy of the Dodgers radio network. So, Kevin, where do these guys come from? Like you said, it was Turner, and now it's Muncie. And just every year, they seem to pull a rabbit out of their hat. Well, the Dodgers are big on analytics, number one. Um, they have a, a great scouting staff. They have a lot of uh, people in that front office that are just breaking down uh, players from all over the world, really, not just uh, in the United States. And, you know, Turner, Justin Turner, that was the credit of Tim Wallach, really, um, years ago before the new regime came in. Uh, Tim was the one that went to Cal State Fullerton back in his day, and then JT went there as well, Justin Turner. And Justin was out of a job when the Mets released him. And uh, he said, you know, to Ned Coletti, when Ned was a GM, why don't you have Justin come into camp? He can play second, short, and third. And bottom line is he battled with uh, D. Gordon for starting at second base, and he was platooning with them. Turned out in part-time playing, he hit 340 with 12 home runs. And then when Uribe, Juan Uribe was done with the Dodgers, Justin became the third baseman and got a chance to start revamped his uh, swing. He went to the uh, leg kick and the slightly open stance, which is something he told me that he did in high school. He had a leg kick, but uh, certain ball clubs that he's been with, whether it be Cincinnati or New York, and they told him to get rid of that leg kick, and he went back to it, worked out in the offseason with, uh, with another you know, hitting coach. That you know, A lot of guys are getting personalized hitting coaches besides their own organizations. And bottom line is, uh, that's the hitter you, you see today. And he really understands the timing of the late kick. In fact, he's killed the Mets ever since he's gone back there. He had a game-winning uh, home run and extra innings the other day. And the Dodgers hit, uh, what was it, seven home runs in that game. Right. And JT hit a bomb off of uh, the Mets' last reliever. Yeah, that, that might be in. JT calling you right now saying, don't yeah. give away, don't give away my yeah. secret. No, I, think, I think everybody knows it by now that he's got a big kick. <laughs> it's just how do you get him out? It's tough now, to get him to get out. Now, remember, when he came over to the Dodgers, he was an afterthought. I don't even think, Kevin, if I'm not mistaken, he didn't even make his first opening day roster. Mike Baxter beat him out for that last spot. He came up a couple no, he of made days it. later. No, he, no, he Did made, he make it? He made the roster. Yeah, okay. he made the roster. He was there and um, – uh, he made the roster as a utility player. As a utility so, guy, because it was him yeah. and Mike Baxter who came over from the Mets at the same time. Yeah, Baxter played a little bit of outfield, too, and Baxter was there for a minute. But, no, JT made and, it. And then JT made it, and they battled all the way through to see who was going to make, make Yeah, it really wasn't, he really wasn't in competition with Baxter. His competition was D. Gordon. Uh, oh, and, well, yeah, for the infield. And, then he, and, and, and again, because, because you bring different gloves, you get a chance to play. Well, because he played his best position at that time was second base, and D. Gordon had never really played second base other than winter ball, and J.T.'s been a great fielder. But really, right now, he's one of the best third basemen in Major League Baseball defensively. I, I won't say that he's Nolan Arenado, but um, I'll tell you what. He, he's uh, If you didn't have Nolan Arenado in the league, this guy would win a gold glove at third base. That's how good his hands are, so... Um, yeah, he made the club, but he had, you know, again, he had some pull with, uh, you know, some guys pushing for him, like, in the like organization, right? Eric, which, which always helps. And, uh, but he, but his, to his credit, he walked through the door and then with Got Chris, the opportunity with Chris Taylor, you may remember Zach Lee was a number one pick with the Dodgers many years ago, never really panned out, got one start. In fact, I worked that game against the Mets. He got knocked out, I think in the second inning. 
And Zach Lee never really panned out. Didn't have a big fastball, threw a lot of cutters, didn't have great secondary stuff. Well, he got traded to Seattle a couple of years ago, and that was Jerry DePoto's trade when Jerry uh, left the Angels and got the job in Seattle. And to this day, Jerry DePoto still kicks himself in the tail that that's the worst move he's ever made. They gave up on Chris Taylor. They got Chris Taylor as a utility guy, shortstop, and a guy that could play other positions because the Dodgers knew he had depth. He didn't have the power. And what, what he did uh, was after his first year with the Dodgers, where he had a cup of coffee, came up and down, AAA, and sent back down, et cetera, didn't show any ability to really hit or drive the ball. And he revamped his swing with a slight leg kick and uh, got that slightly open stance, got on top of the plate, and swings hard. I mean, all three swings. If you know, He might strike out a lot, which he does, but uh, he came up last night, for example, hit a pinch hit home run to make the game um, two to nothing at the time. The Dodgers ended up beating the Cubs two to one. And then Max Muncy was the same thing, a left-handed hitter that had a pretty good numbers in AAA in his minor league career. One year he had 25 home runs in AAA, but he's with the Oakland A's last year. And you look at his big league numbers, didn't do a whole lot, only hit a few home runs, didn't hit for much of an average. Always had a pretty good eye at the plate, though. And with the Dodgers, he got his opportunity when the Dodgers had all these injuries. And he got his chance. He had a pretty good spring training, didn't make the club in spring training, got called up just like Chris Taylor did last year because Chris didn't make the club in spring training a year ago. And now Max Muncy is uh, the number two hitter in the Dodgers lineup, hitting righties and lefties. And like I said, he's got a home run every 10, every 10 points, four, seven at bats. And if you can believe it, it's leading Major League Baseball, as I said, better than Mike Trout and J.D. Martinez and Bryce Harper or any other home run hitter out there. It's, it's, it's an unbelievable story, but he's been a big part of it. And the resurrection of Matt Kemp, obviously, losing 40 pounds. Matt Kemp is, I think Matt Kemp's a better hitter than he was when he hit 40 home runs and stole 39 bases and finished second in the MVP voting many years ago before he was moved on to San Diego. So you know somebody's on the treadmill right now going, why can't my team find that guy? Why is the Dodgers have done this three years in a row, finding a guy off the scrap heap who turns out to be an all-star? Well, you know, it's really a great question. I mean, part of it is analytics, but a lot of it is just the eye test and scouting. And the Dodgers like guys that can play multiple positions, and all three guys that I talked about could play multiple positions. So that was a big part of it because Turner, even though he didn't play outfield necessarily, he could play other positions on the left side of the infield. He could play some third. He could play some second. He could play some short. They tried him in the outfield last spring a year ago. I mean, 2017, he looked good out there. And Rick Monday, who I work with on Dodgers radio games, who was a great center fielder, said right away in game one, I could tell that he, he read the ball extremely well off the bat. He got good jumps, and he was going to be a pretty good center fielder. Turned out to be a great center fielder last year. But the, the good news is for the Dodgers, because of the injury to Corey Seager, all of a sudden Taylor becomes a Dodgers shortstop because really that's his best position. He's been phenomenal at shortstop this year defensively. He's got a little groin uh, strain right now, so he hasn't been starting. He's been pinch hitting lately, but um, he should be back in the lineup hopefully soon for the Dodgers. But all three guys, Muncie, who has played first, second, not so much shortstop, but first, second, or third. Turner played uh, second, third, and short, and he can also play first. And then Taylor, all three guys, the key to the Dodgers is that they can play multiple positions, which is what a lot of teams are doing today, uh, Rich, as you know. So the bottom line is, 
are the Dodgers focusing into what they're going to be sitting atop the National League West, or do we know yet? I think they believe. I talked to Kenley Jansen a week ago, and he said that they believe. He said when Justin Turner got back into the lineup and came off the disabled list, even though Turner's numbers as far as batting average and all that aren't great yet, um, he's starting to drive the ball because the wrist is feeling better. He still has wrist pain, by the way. Right. Even though you know he's technically cleared to play, he still has some pain. You know, he finishes high with his swing, and the wrist that was broken was his left wrist. And sometimes he feels pain, not on the side that was broken, but on the other side of his wrist, which is what's bothered him a little bit. So for about um, about a week ago, Rich, they sat him down for five days just to give him a break on that. And um, no pun intended, <laughs> but just to give him a rest. And um, so ever since then, he's been really driving the ball better. But also one thing about Turner, why he's such a good hitter, he's not always looking to drive the ball out of the ballpark. He does what the situation dictates. Is it if it dictates putting the ball in play with the infield back and a runner at third base, he'll get the RBI. Where a lot of hitters in today's game are trying to get a base hit. And I heard John Smoltz say this on the Sunday night game. Rich, you might have heard the same thing I heard uh, the other day. And he said too many guys are trying to get the base hit with runners at first and third, nobody out, rather than putting the ball in play. Even if you round out into a double play, you get the run in. Right, and, and sure enough, uh, with the Mets playing the Dodgers in the Sunday night or the other day, he was doing a game. Actually, it was Saturday. I think it was a Fox Saturday. Game. Yeah, it was a Saturday game on Fox. And, and John was saying that, and sure enough, the Mets had first and third, nobody out in a game they could have won, and, and and all three guys struck out. Put the ball in play. Whitey Herzog has said that forever. It's in his book that I always talk about. Make the other guy make a play. Speaking of the Cardinals, let's switch gears. You got to talk a little Cardinal baseball. And the pitch for the left-handed swinging center fielder. And a line drive to the uh, shortstop. Double play, and the game is over, and the Cardinals have won their 10,000th game. The milestone uh, dates back to 1876. Redbirds win it. Highlight courtesy of the Cardinals Radio Network. How about that? An organization that you know very well, the St. Louis Cardinals, get their 10,000th National League victory. They have more and before they were the, the gas house gang way, way back. But this is official 10,000th National League victory. Kevin, that says something. That says something for an organization that's been around that long to have that much success and 10,000 National League wins. Wow. How do you put that into words? You know, um, I was fortunate, Rich, to play in three organizations, Baltimore, St. Louis, and the Los Angeles Dodgers, all three great historic organizations. And when I got a chance to go from Baltimore to St. Louis, I only did that because Kenny Boyer had been a manager for the Orioles in AAA for a short period of time before he went back to St. Louis as the big league manager in 1978. And it was an organization that, Everybody was on the same page. They had great instructors. They had people there, you know, a lot of history in their organization. Guys that, much like the Dodgers and much like the Orioles, a lot of their instructors were guys that played in the organization, whether it be, a, you know, a, a Red Shandies was always around. Um, George Kissel was always around. Um, these are guys that are, I mean, Red was a great player, of course, for the Cardinals. They've passed away now, God rest their souls. But they just had a lot of history to pass on. Bob Gibson, even though he was a Braves pitching coach for a while, 
Uh, he was always around. Lou Brock was always around. Great Cardinals were always around. I think there's something to that, number one. And then they had great, uh, just a great organization that the formula that they've had and developed going back many, many years, not just what's going on since Mike Matheny took over, um, has been the same. I mean, Tony LaRue, they've had great managers from Whitey Herzog to um, Tony LaRusso. And then to Mike Matheny, of course, who took over the reins from Tony LaRusso. But you'll hear that you'll hear a term the Cardinals way. You hear it about the you you used to hear it about the Orioles the Orioles way. And I know when you were in the minor leagues, you would hear that the Dodgers way. Uh, there's something about the lineage that you have. I mean, the Yankees have their own lineage when they have all those legends show up at right. Steinbrenner Field for spring training. But there's something about that Cardinals way. What makes them different than just about everybody else that's been chasing them in the National League? Um, well, number one, they. They scout well. They draft well. I mean, you think about guys in recent years. Uh, Matt Adams was a low-round draft pick. I'll, I know he's no longer there, but um, this guy, big left-handed power hitter that was uh, – they, they, they just went to the you know, brinks of finding him in a very small town, and their scouts were all over the place. The eye test is, was put in. They still believe in that, even though they've gone to analytics as well, especially when Jeff Lunau was there. But – um, they've got really good scouts and, and evaluators in their system. Gary LaRock is uh, still in the in the farm director department, who I know well from the Dodger days. And Gary guy. Gary had good breeding with L.A., then went to the Mets in the front office there. <clears throat> Gary became a scout, but he has a great pedigree because he learned a lot about evaluating and about how an organization works well when everybody's on the same page by all the years he spent in L.A. in the minor leagues at the same time I was in the minor leagues as an instructor and a manager. So Gary is a big part of that. Brent Strom, I've talked about many times. Brent Strom was there under Jeff Lunau, man, uh, coaching, pitching coach in the minor leagues. Jeff took him over to uh, Houston, and he's the big league pitching coach. Lunau now, took him over to Houston as part of that World Series winner. And now has a World Series ring, exactly. And, and Brent Strom is 70 years of age, so it wasn't about, hey, he's too old school to be <laughs> part of a, a big league pitching coach. It's because Brent learned the analytics when Lunau was there. Right. But understood the old school under the Dodgers when he was a so Dodger that, minor league pitching coach. He's that perfect combination. Exactly. The combination of both. Gary LaRock, too, by the way. I have a friend that I got a job there, one of my best friends, Mark Budaska, that's now had, I think, 11 years in AAA as the hitting coach, who is really, truly one of the best hitting coaches I've ever been around. He worked with Reggie Smith at his academy. That's where I uh, met Mark, and actually, um, we became great, great friends and opened our own academy with a guy named Ked Medlock, who was an uh, instructor slash, now he's, he's been an actor as well. <clears throat> he was in Moneyball. And anyway... Right. We've talked um, about him before. Yeah. Bottom line is, to this day, I mean, Mark told me when I had lunch with him a couple of years ago before he went to spring training, he said guys like David Freeze, who's with the Pirates, will still call him. Um, rarely does he get enough credit, Mark Badaska, but he said he'll still call him when he's having trouble, <laughs> when technically you're not supposed to do that, but he'll still get phone calls in the offseason from guys that are different, different organizations that he had in AAA because he's that good both right. from a technical standpoint and, and really from a mental standpoint. So anyway, bottom line is the, the organizations that I've been in that have been the best, Rich, and, and to, to really sum up your question, is that they've had good people. They do have an organization. Everybody's on the same play, right. uh, place. Um, everybody's on the same page. 
Um, when one guy goes up from double A to triple A, everything is the same in triple exactly A as it is same. in double A. Yeah. And that's, that's what I found with Baltimore. That's what I found with the Cardinals. And definitely that's what I found with the Dodgers back in the uh, Peter O'Malley days for sure. I think I've shared the story with you that when Joe Madden came to the then Devil Rays, he says we're going to do things the Devil Rays way because he was trying to emulate what he knew from different organizations, the Orioles and all the rest. Right. And although he'd been a longtime angel, but he he had been around the game enough, and and people are laughing at him. What the Devil Rays way? You're going to lose a hundred games and, and <laughs> uh, you know give up and, and be no hit seventeen different times. In his little thing, he said, "I got to find one thing that everybody in the organization is going to do the same way." So he took the base spray painted the inside corner orange and he says everyone in this organization from the big leagues to the rookie leagues are gonna around the bases the same way and that was his key to success to tie everything together and he instilled that for a while that when you're at rookie ball you're going to learn uh the same uh, techniques as in double a triple a and all the way up to the big leagues and that was some of the success that he was able to to take with him to turn the rays around to get to the world series and then win with the cubs that's a that's a great point and a great example because that's exactly what the Dodgers did under the O'Malley years. Maury Wills, the base running instructor then, uh, everybody would run the bases the same way, doing the exact same thing, basically. Everybody would take the same type of lead. You know, when you're leading off third base, you know, a lot of people still don't know to this day, when do I break on a suicide squeeze? And the key to breaking this, for an example, just to, we'll, we'll do a little teaching right here. When do you break if you're a runner on third base? Is you break when the pitcher's front foot is just about to land on the ground and his stride toward home plate. Not before that, not after that. That's the timing of when you break as you get your secondary lead off at third base. I'll bet you a lot of people maybe don't know that. I have no idea. I and have I, no idea because if you go too early, you're going to get hung out to dry. And if you go too late, you're not going to get there. Exactly. Now, I'm talking about the suicide squeeze, not the safety squeeze. Not the safety squeeze where it's the runner reading whether he gets the bunt down or not. Suicide squeeze, I'm coming come hell or high water. Absolutely. And I still see the safety squeeze, which was run beautifully by Joe Madden, who, as I said many times before in other shows we've done, that he learned, he got that from Don Zimmer, who in turn got that from Billy Martin when he managed against Billy when he was with the Red Sox. And Billy was with the Yankees because Billy beat him with that play so many times. You see a lot of teams using that. In fact, they don't, I, they don't mm. run it well. I no. saw I saw the Cubs use it the other day, and Joe Madden's obviously managing the Cubs. <clears throat> but last week, Contreras uh, did the bunt play. The runner at third base um, didn't need to break because the bunt was like like a one. He might have well swung the bat. It was a one hopper to first base. I think it was Max Muncy playing first, and he charged so quickly. Well, the key is on that on that safety squeeze, and Joe always used to say this, and Don Zimmer told me this as well, is that you don't have to bunt the ball. You bunt strikes, and you don't bunt the ball hard toward first. And if you do, the runner at third doesn't go. You just go doesn't back go. to third base. And the runner exactly. at first base will be safe at second, and so it becomes a sacrifice. So that's the key to that. And, and a lot of people, and they, anyway, bottom line is the Cubs ran into it out, an easy out at home plate. And, and so – the bunt has to be good, number one. If it's not, then the runner read the bunt and go back to third base. But number two, if the first baseman breaks too soon, then the runner at first base is supposed to steal second because he, he's going to get a huge jump. And then if he yes. sees that, the right-handed hitter, if he sees that, can actually take the pitch. Nothing it, bad can happen to you if you execute it correctly. Exactly. And still today, major league teams don't execute that play correctly. But it's that's... Like it's That's like the just, crane kick and the karate kid. It cannot be defensed. 
Exactly. And that's why we're, that's why little things like you mentioned with Joe Madden, with the orange paint on the corner of the bag, that's what we're talking about when you're asking me a question, why the St. Louis Cardinals had been so good year after year after year after year, why the Orioles had been uh, for many years, and, and mainly in prior ownership, by the way, <laughs> year after year, but especially in my day when I was there, I mean, it was... It was the Oriole way. You're right. It was. It's great. Great to be young in an Oriole was the saying around minor league camp to get to the big leagues. Started by Ray Miller, who created that. The Dodgers was the Al Campanis wrote a book, The Dodger Way to Play Baseball. Mm-hmm. It's because it's because little things like I just mentioned were taught and done correctly at every single level, not just in the big leagues. And so when guys got sent up to the big leagues from Double A AA or Triple A, and that play was put on, there was no there was a, there was no lack of execution. The, the players knew, okay, I know I've done this play in the minor leagues. I know what to do. I'm going to get the execution down. I'm going to do it correctly. If the first baseman crashes, I'm not going to bunt the pitch. And, and you know, all those things. So that's that's the point of good organizations that are good year after year after year. And that's done by good people in the organization demanding that out of their players before they move up to the next level. Let's move along here, and we'll talk about somebody who's played in a lot of different organizations. The 1-2 delivery, Jackson throws. It's swung on a ground ball left side, taking it short. Simeon has it, throws to first in time, and Jackson works out of it and pounds his mitt with his hand. He walks off the diamond, having thrown six innings and giving up just one run in his A's debut. But the A's are trailing after six. It's one nothing Tigers. Highlight courtesy of the Oakland A's radio network. Kevin, we're talking about somebody that you and I have known multiple different times, Edwin Jackson. How about this? <laughs> he ties Octavio Dotel, the 13th different major league team he's played for. You knew him way back when. Uh, he was a 2001 draft pick of the Dodgers. For the Dodgers, he went to the Rays. From the Rays, he went to the Tigers, to the Diamondbacks, to the White Sox, to the Cardinals, to the Nats, Cubs, Brewers, Marlins, Padres, O's, Signs a minor league contract, gets called up by the Oakland Athletics. He and Octavio Dotel have played for more teams than anybody else in baseball. They're tied. Um, there's 40 with 10 or more teams they played for. Mike Morgan's got 12. Matt Stairs has got 12. Ron Valone has got 12. Paul Bacco's got 11. Miguel Batista played for 11. Royce Clayton played for 11. I mean, some of these, Kenny Lofton, I forgot that he played for so many teams. He's got 11 under his belt. Uh, Todd Zield played for 11. How about Ken Brett, 11 different uniforms he wore. Tell me about a guy like Edwin Jackson that's put on 13 different uniforms. That guy's a grinder. Well, and and I I heard this last night, as a matter of fact, and you know what the anniversary was last night of when he actually pitched for the Oakland A's? No, tell me. It was the anniversary of the no-hitter he pitched against the Tampa Bay Rays. Oh, the way he threw like 835 pitches. I was there for that. Exactly. I worked the game with Dwayne Stats, and they put us in the outfield. That was one of those testing uh, oh, yeah, things. Yeah. They put us in center field to do the game, which happens once in a while. You see it around Sunday night games. They do that Just once in a while. Change things up right. Yeah, which uh, which really wasn't good when you're when you're trying to broadcast a no-hitter. <laughs> no-hitter, <Yeah. laughs> right. I know Dwayne wasn't too happy about it. I remember that. But, yeah, Edwin walked about nine that night, I think. But he he didn't give up a base hit. He kept getting double play balls. And before you know it, he's into the seventh inning with a no-hitter. And A.J. Hinch was his rookie year managing. He was a rookie manager. And he he didn't take him out. And to his credit, I mean, he let the guy pitch until he gave up a hit. And he did not give up a hit. He got the no-hitter. But 
he took a lot of flack for it because I, I can't remember the pitch count, Rich, but I know it was quick. It was like 146, if I'm not mistaken. I think you're right on. That's the number I have in my head exactly, 146, which was was really nothing when you're managing a guy like Roger Clemens like I did in the mid-'90s. That was common, you know, 146. But in today's game, and even in then, and that was back in, what, 2010, I believe it was? Yeah, and that was a highlight of Edwin's season because the next couple starts he came up uh, it just didn't do very well. So that added to the reason why people were on AJ about that. Yeah, they always blamed that. But the thing with uh, with Edwin Jackson, who came up as a shortstop with the Dodgers, uh, didn't hit well, liked his arm, made him into a pitcher, which is something a lot of organizations do. Um, you know, Trevor Hoppin was a guy that was the same way. Uh, speaking of uh, guys that are not, you know, Hall of Famers, uh, there's been a few of them that, that came up with shortstops or, or – Maybe an outfielder that couldn't uh, couldn't hit, and but he had a those great usually, arm. Those are where you find the good athletes is up the middle. Yeah, up the middle, or, or a Pedro Baez for L.A. who was a third baseman that couldn't couldn't hit, and they had a great arm and throws ninety eight, and so they made him a pitcher. So that that's happened frequently. Well, that's what happened with Edwin Jackson. And in fact, his first uh, on his twenty first birthday, he pitched in Arizona and actually beat Randy Johnson. So everybody thought in L.A. at that time the future was big, big and bright for him. But the thing with Edwin, why he's been with so many teams is because he's intriguing because he's, you know, when he's healthy and he is healthy, he usually is healthy. That's why he's been with so many teams, but he's never had the consistency. He can light it up one night like we just talked about with a no hitter. And then the next outing, he can't get out of the third inning. He gets right. he just gets hammered. It's because he's just been so inconsistent. So he keeps getting a chance. That's the thing about him. You go, well, you know what? We have an injury. Let me see if I can turn around. I turned around Justin Turner. Let me see if I can turn him around. Exactly. And that's, and that's why guys like that with good stuff, good ability, keep getting opportunities somewhere else. Now, guys like Kenny Lofton that you mentioned – that's a little different when you're an aging player at the end of your career. You've had you've had your main years, let's say, with the Cleveland Indians, but you're still a valuable guy. And so at the end of your career, you can play with the Braves one year and help them because they need a center fielder for a year or two. Or or the Dodgers, for example, they need a center fielder because, you know, so-and-so, Matt Kemp, wasn't ready yet. He was still in the minor leagues, that type of things. And that, that's, that's why guys like that, get three or four teams at the end of their career, not because they, they can't perform or didn't perform. It's just because they're still valuable at age 37, 38, 39 to help a team like Chase Utley is right now with the Dodgers, for example. I, I also think Edward Jackson is a cautionary tale of rushing a kid up to the big leagues because when he got to Tampa Bay, he had already been out of options because the Dodgers had brought him up and down and up and down and up and down. And he never he had to learn how to pitch in the big leagues. He never had that opportunity to learn how to pitch through that moment of the game, fifth inning where things fall apart and he's got to you know gather himself back up to fight through the sixth inning. It's easier to do in Albuquerque and in Fresno and in Sacramento than it is in the big league stage. And, and that's where I think he really – uh, had a disservice because he ran out of options and had to learn to play in the big leagues. I got a, I, I got a quick story for you, Kevin, if you want to hear yeah, about it. Yeah, I do. Yeah. So one day we're in, he's, he's with the Devil Rays, and we go over to CENTCOM, uh, McDill Air Force Base over in Tampa, where they have the, uh, um, they run the, they run uh, the Middle East campaigns out of there. Like Norman Schwarzkopf is there, David yeah. Petraeus is there. Right. So th we went over and we were caravanning and we took the players over there. And he was one, I think Josh Paul was with us and maybe an Aubrey Huff. And we went and they were signing autographs. So I'm standing there with them, um, helping uh, organize the, the signing. And these soldiers are laughing and carrying on over there. And it's just kind of 
out of the ordinary because the rest of them are waiting to get an autograph, and then they're going to get their their barbecuing, and they're going to sit down and enjoy the meal and you know meet baseball players. But there are a couple that were there was just. You know, when you get around military guys, they're so precise and they're so buttoned up. But something's going on over here at this one side, and it just kind of stuck out like a sore thumb. And when they got closer to him, one of the soldiers says, hey, this guy says that he's uh, that that guy's cousin. And he goes, ah, don't say anything. Don't say anything. I'm like, you're his cousin? He goes, yeah, that's my cousin, Edwin Jackson. I'm like, oh, well, I looked over and said, Edwin, this soldier over here says he's your cousin. And he looks up, and you've been around him. He's got a smile that'll light up a room, and he smiles. This huge grin comes on his face, and he jumps up from the table and walks over to hug the guy. It turned out that he was his cousin. They hadn't seen each other in 10 years. He didn't even know that Edwin was going to be there, and Edwin didn't know that his cousin was stationed at McDill. Oh, that's a great story. That is that is nice. That's very yeah. cool. Yeah. I, I, I'll never forget that. It was, it was a really neat moment just kind of watching, oh, my God, that's my cousin out of the blue. Um, that's why I, I always pull Fredwood Jackson because I think he's one of the good guys around baseball, and I got to respect a guy that's put on 13 different uniforms, Kevin. Well, that, again, that says a lot about him that uh, he still got good stuff, good enough to pitch in the big leagues, and people feel like he can still help us at the back end of a rotation, and so that's why he's going to get get gets all these opportunities. And you know, I I heard one of the announcers talking about him the other day. Uh, from Oakland saying, you know, he may he may pitch a few more years and he may get a few more teams to pitch with, too. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> hey, okay, so I'm going to change gears one more time. Um, this is a goofy story, and this was completely taken out of context. I saw a bunch of Yankee fans get mad about this. The Rays were just kind of being funny. They had sent out a fake bill to the Yankees and Clint Frazier for damaging one of the catwalks in a speaker. So Clint Frazier hits his blast that would have been gone anywhere, including uh, Yellowstone Park. It's <laughs> that darn catwalk. Damages one of the speakers, and the Rays put it on social media, just kind of having fun with it. Hey, by the way, you owe us for the speaker because you broke part of our ballpark. Um, I thought it was pretty funny. Some Yankee fans didn't understand that it was a it was a uh, it was all done in jest. They thought that they were really going to bill them for something like that. But it also made me think. And, and we're going to go inside the the manager's office here for just a second, Kevin. Have you ever been in a situation where somebody in your ball club broke something in the clubhouse, the locker room, or, or broke a phone? Like, remember David Ortiz beat a phone up? They You get billed for that stuff, don't you? Oh, yeah. And, yes, I have been around players that have done that, both on uh, my side and, and and watching on the opposite side as well. Or in our ballparks, the visiting team uh, did it to our ballpark um, as well. So, yeah, that's um, not uncommon. The guys, the guys will do things like that. Now we, we were having some fun with Hunter Strickland the other day because uh, he was in. Um, he blew the game in San Francisco the other day against what was it, the Marlins that we were talking right, about. Right. But he hit the wall and he didn't break the wall because the wall didn't move. He broke his hand. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah. yeah, guys have torn up water coolers. Um, I remember Carlos Perez, the lefty that pitched with Montreal that came to the Dodgers. He took a bat and just hammered a water cooler one day and had to pay for that. That was at Dodger Stadium while he was with the Dodgers, so it was the home dugout. I've had guys in the clubhouse that have torn things up. Um, I'm trying to think. Have you ever broken anything? Um, I don't think in the clubhouse, in the, in the big leagues. I think in the minor leagues, I tore it up one time in Tucson a little bit. I got pretty upset in AAA one time um, when Jose Offerman – on a butt play, uh, runners were at first and let's see, first and second, 
You know, runner at first base. And uh, Kenny Lofton was in the minor leagues at this time. And twice, Kenny Lofton uh, bunted uh, toward uh, third base. And the runner at first base went from first to third because Offerman didn't cover third base. He was a shortstop. Mm. Third baseman came in. And Offerman, he charged away he's supposed to, and then you're supposed to go cover third. Offerman, yeah, Offerman was supposed to cover third. And two times in the same ball game with Kenny Lofton, he didn't do it. And I, I got pretty upset that night. We, we did some other things that beat us that night, and I got pretty upset. But, but I think more than that, more than tearing it up, Eric Karras will tell the story. What I did, I got kicked out of that game in the minor leagues. It was a AAA game against, uh, that's when they were the Astros. Remember, Kenny was with the Astros right. first. And I, I got in the shower, and uh, apparently I stayed in the shower two hours, and I took all the hot water away from all the flames. <laughs> yeah, that's a true story. That's that's the funniest one that I can think of. Oh, next happened. time I yeah. see EK, I'm going to have to ask about that. Yeah, oh, you ask him. He was there. Oh, yeah, he's the one oh. that actually said it. Because I, I finally got out of the shower. I guess from the third or fourth inning on, I stayed in see, the shower. See, there's Eric asking about it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, guys are calling right and left. It's crazy today. That's how good yeah. a podcast is. Yeah, no, it's – um, I can't remember what inning I got kicked out, but obviously it was long enough where I spent apparently close to two hours in the shower. And by the time, you know, the game was over and I got out of the shower – there was no hot water left. <laughs> that Kevin Kennedy took all the hot water. And I, and I didn't know it because when I got out of the shower, it was still hot water. But Eric said uh, when the players got in there, there was no hot water left. So they had to go back and shower, you know, put on their dress clothes and get on the team bus and go back and shower at the hotel. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> that's that great. Yeah. I yeah. love that. I never heard that. All the years that we've been together, I've never heard that one. I, it just came to me. It just came to oh, me about clubhouse see, stories. Yeah, That's why this is America's Best Baseball Podcast. Yeah. Hey, real quick, I, I do want to stay with the Rays for one second before we wrap everything up. It looks like they're open for sale. Um, they're not going anywhere. They've got some players that might be able to make some some improvements to other ball club. Wilson Ramos, uh, Echeverria's down there, Carlos Gomez, Sergio Romo, um, Nathan Avaldi, uh, Matt Duffy, and, and Archer if he's if he's healthy. Does anybody over there really kind of um, make you think twice, or, hmm, that could be a missing piece for my ball club right now? Well, I've always liked Nate Avaldi's arm. He was a former Dodger, remember, when yeah, he got traded. Exactly. And then he got Tommy John, he got traded, and he had a huge arm, and I know he pitched for the Yankees for a while, and I, I thought this guy was really going to have a chance to be something special because he had a good fastball at 98. He had a good curveball, and uh, he could be an interesting piece. I know Duffy's a good piece, and former giant third baseman. He's done a nice job in Tampa Bay and quietly has done it. Nobody really talks about Matt Duffy, but he's a third baseman shortstop. Uh, he can hit. He's a 300 hitter, a little bit of power, not maybe not a ton. I thought, you know, if somebody needs a third baseman, He's a nice That's what player. I was thinking. Yeah, he's a nice player. No, he's he's a nice player that can hit. You know, there's no doubt. He goes the other way. He's uh, got some gap power. Good fielder, both at third and short. I saw him mostly play third with the Giants. I know he's played some short with Tampa Bay. Chris Archer's an interesting guy. The only thing about Chris Archer for me, Rich, and I've been asked about him a lot over the last couple of years, especially for the Dodgers. People have asked me, and fans have asked me about him. You know, would the Dodgers need him? I personally think what the Dodgers have is better than than going out and getting a Chris Archer because I've never liked the delivery. He's always opened up too soon, and you can see the ball. And he flies if, open. If he used the lower half and really closed it up and tucked better with that front side, and then and then opened up as he was landing rather than spinning on the mound. I always call it like opening a door. 
He opens yes. that. He opens that as he gets to the, the load position, uh, the bounce position in the turn. He swivels that door open, that left leg open, and you can see the ball a long way. He's got good stuff. Don't get me wrong, but I think he could be so much better. Now that being said, I think if he gets with the right pitching coach, and and right. he, and I'm sure he's open to being you know taught because he's a he's a, an intellectual guy. He reads a lot, and I think he would yeah. be open to coaching to get better. I think he'd be more consistent. I'm saying. I mean, some games. That's why some games he's really on, and then others he's he's inconsistent. Can't find yeah. So, uh, and I think, and, and you know what I'm wondering, the Yankees are going to push this this offseason or this this market right now because they desperately need some more pitching. I'm wondering how much these guys are going to be worth because I think the Yankees are going to be in hot pursuit trying to gather as many arms as they need. Well, that's why I say I think Chris Archer will be in hot pursuit uh, by, a, by a team like the Yankees or somebody like that. But I think there's going to be some improvement with him if he if he changes those mechanics a little bit because that's the one that's a, that's the one thing I've watched with him. Yeah, he's made a lot of mistakes. And when I see his numbers for the talent that he has, it could be so much better. But I'm a big believer in mechanics, pitching mechanics, and I understand mechanics. I've, I've learned from the best. And um, I actually I've told you before I was a pitching coach in the minor leagues, my first year coaching. I get I get it. And I can see the difference in, in good mechanics versus when a guy is uh, doing some has some flaws in his mechanics. Let's just put it that way. Absolutely. All right, that's going to do it for the podcast for today. We'll have another one later for you this week. That's the skipper, Kevin Kennedy. You can reach him, Kevin Kennedy, MLB. On Twitter, I'm RBI Rich. Thanks for joining us on America's Best Baseball Podcast. Thanks for joining us for America's Best Baseball Podcast. Our podcast was produced by Braden Suppernant. Find us on Facebook at America's Best Baseball Podcast. You can find Kevin at Kevin Kennedy MLB on Twitter, and you can find Rich on Twitter at RBI Rich. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.